Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game. I am your host, Eric Vanek, and once again, I am joined by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, what's going on, man? Week one's over with. How'd it go for you? Yeah, hey, Eric. Welcome back. Episode 10, we made it to double figures. Yeah, week one was uh, fun. It was fun to get back into the lineup grind and uh, kind of really see some some actionable information, but now it's, I think we kind of talked about this last week too, was... How much are we going to overreact on? Like, what can we react to and say that's what it's going to be? And what are we going to react to that might not end up being how it's going to go the rest of the year? So it's just kind of fun to jockey in on what's real and what's not, what's predictive and what's not. But that there, there's a a torturous fun to the in in season weekly grind of lineups and matchups and all that stuff. So we're right in the midst of it, week two. Yeah, a lot of different. Um you know, lineup decisions this week, we were kind of talking about it pre-show of things that we can do this week. And we're going to kind of go over some of the takeaways from week one that uh, me and Scott had, you know, we'll go, we'll get into it here in a few minutes, but how did your week one go? Did you do pretty good this week in uh, all your leagues? Yeah, I think, uh, so I tracked, I went through and tracked everything head to head wise. And I think I ended up of all my head to head matchups uh, ended up going a total of 70 and 39 across dynasty and high stakes. So, I mean, that's a winning week. It's almost a, you know, 65% winning percentage. So, I mean, I'll take that. If you take that across the year, you're going to end up in the playoffs in more, more than most, you know, probably two thirds of your leagues or more. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a, a pretty good start. There been a, Dak Prescott was my highest rostered quarterback. So that was a little bit of a kick in the balls. Uh, but you know, a couple of those teams were either, and we can talk about this. A couple of those teams were teams that I had three good quarterbacks. So those teams are fine. A couple others like Dak was my number one quarterback. So I think two of my teams with Dak, I immediately just went, all right, I'm, I'm tanking. I'm punting this year. You know, when he's your number one quarterback and your number two is, you know, somebody that you're like, ah, they're pretty good, but I'm not sure they can carry a team for six to eight weeks or however long he's going to be in back or being out until he's fully back. I don't, really think he comes back after four weeks and is fine. So yeah, I think that's just one of those, uh, those big injuries where you're like, my portfolio is pretty exposed and it was a big critical injury. So that definitely had some decisions to be made on those teams, but largely pretty good. How about you? Yeah, I think I went um, total of all my leagues, redraft dynasty leagues with like double headers or games against the median and all that. I think I went 35 and 23 is what I went. So 
pretty successful week. I'll take any week above 500 and in, in dynasty and redraft and all that. So we did pretty good. Uh, our main event league and FFPC, we won that. Uh, we had Justin Jefferson and Debo, Tyreek, a couple other guys that did pretty good too. Michael Carter, we ended up throwing in. He had a nice PPR week for us. So that's our main team that, that we care about, and we did good on that. So glad that we won that this week. And then, yeah, that Dak, I didn't have too much Dak personally. I think I only like, uh, I don't know, two or three, but I did make a trade for Dak, and we can get into like um, how we're going to approach trading for Dak or trading away Dak here shortly. Um, but yeah, I, I made a trade for Dak, so I was happy to, to do that too. We'll get into it. What was it? Um, I gave away Aaron Rodgers and a Debbie depleted second round pick and got back Dak Prescott and a third round Debbie depleted pick. So, and my two quarterbacks ahead of, uh, Rodgers, well, I had, uh, not ahead of Rodgers, but I had, um, Herbert and Fields as well. So I can weather the storm for, you know, until Dak comes back and then I can get, um, I get Dak in there with Herbert. So I was happy to do that because that's an upgrade over Rogers for me. Yeah. It's an upgrade and it's not like you're missing out on, like you're probably going to end up starting fields over Rogers a couple of those weeks anyway, the mm. Dak's out. So it isn't like you're giving up your, your starter for the next six weeks. You know, you have another option that's probably like comparable, so I, I like that. I think that's that's the type of trade you make for Dak. You go down a tier from where you had Dak before, and you essentially see if somebody is willing to swap you or even pay you a little bit of a tax to get the quote unquote like usable quarterback. And largely those deals are bad bets for the teams that are trading away the better quarterback. Like one popular one I saw all offseason was, oh, you know, if you want out of Watson, trade him for Stafford, you know, like at the time, back in May, that sounded awesome if you knew you needed to get a full year out of starts. But, like, right now, do you think many people are trading Stafford for Watson? No. Or are accepting Stafford in to trade away their Watson when they've held Watson this long? You know, like, that's a that's just one of those trades where if you made that, like, you, you know that that's a bad trade. But now how Stafford started off the season... It, all, all it really takes is the inevitable of Watson coming back, and you're going to regret that trade. Right. But, but those exist. Like those pockets of time exist. And there are people that are, especially in dynasty leagues, when you have some bigger buy ins too, like there are people that are not willing to go, you know, man, I paid 180 bucks to buy into this league. I, I'm not just accepting that Dak is out for eight weeks and I'm not going to contend this year. You know, like they're going to make a suboptimal move to, to at least stay afloat. So we, we can take advantage of that because we have a lot of money in and we have a lot of leagues. So that's just something you can leverage when you have a big portfolio and you have multiple shares across multiple teams and all that kind of stuff. So that I think that's how you make deals. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the trading targets. So obviously Aaron Rodgers was one you can move, um, move to get Dak. You know, I'm thinking, I don't know if I would do Cousins right now. I mean, I think Cousins is in for a big year. I don't know if I would go from Cousins to Dak or Derek Carr to Dak. I think that's the line of where I would cut it off to where I wouldn't want to. But it, like especially some of those older guys like Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and I want to say Matt Ryan as an older guy. That's just the first name that came to my head. Nobody's going to do that. But some of those like older guys in that tier below, uh, maybe Tua 
for uh, to go get Dak. I would do some of those kind of pivots. Do you have any other ideas of, of what you would pivot off of? No, not really. I think that's the, that's probably the tier of, you know, you have to, you have to prey on the fact that the other person that you're trading with is going to acknowledge the fact that Dak is still a top 12 quarterback, right? But they're probably already a little salty about Dak, you know, being out two years ago. I mean, this is assuming this person has had Dak for more than, you know, half a season or they just took him in a startup draft. But they, they probably already have a little bit of bias against Dak because even if he comes back, it's not like he's set up with a roster around him to absolutely smash this year. Um, you've talked about this. I mean, like Shane Manila says all the time, he goes, why would you ever upgrade to Dak from Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins? Because they're, they're like the same guy. And if Dak doesn't run, like he's, uh, put it this way, efficiency-wise, he's a little better than those guys historically, especially Carr. But if you put him side by side next to Cousins, there's not a big difference. The only difference is Dak got a mega contract and he's on the Dallas Cowboys and Kirk Cousins just got a one-year extension and people still look like, well, Kirk Cousins might not be a starter in two years. But people were saying that four years ago. And every year it's like he just gets a one or two extra year commitment. You know, and like if he continues to play as he is, why would he not start until he's 40? You know, we just, we'd never have valued him that way. So people always see like a big gap between like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. But if Dak doesn't run, I mean, last year, if you look at Dak's rushing share, it was 6.43%. You know, like it, it really wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, you know, there's other guys that are kind of in that same range. Kirk Cousins was 5%. So what's the difference? You know what I mean? It's all about how many yards, how many touchdowns they throw for the offensive system. I think right now you'd easily take, Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins offensive infrastructure over Dak, right? Their weapons, everything. I mean, it's not even close. Same with Stafford. Like the only guy, and that's why I think your trade is awesome because like the only other guy that's probably just as good as Dak, but has like a really questionable situation is Rogers. And you were able to trade Rogers for Dak. Mm -hmm. So I I think you just have to go down a tier. Like you got to go down a tier. And I think the other option would be uh, if you could move Dak and I mean, let me ask your opinion on this. Dak and a late 23 first for Jalen Hurts. You doing that? Yeah, I'd probably do that if I'm a contender right now. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've talked about Jalen Hurts. Ray's talked about Jalen Hurts. I mean, Ray and I have been talking about Jalen Hurts for a long time. As soon as he gets signed, if he ever does, there's never a question about his value. Yeah. But I think there's still a lot of people that would be hesitant to do that now because they're like, well, Jalen Hurts could fail and then he's not a starter. And you just added a first to trade away Dak. You know what I mean? Mm. So and a lot of people would still be hesitant, which means I think you can still get that kind of trade, but it also feels like trying to go swap Dak for Russell Wilson. There's no way you could do that. Nobody yeah. would give you Russ for Dak trying to go up to even like Burrow. I don't think people would do. Yeah. And then trying to go up to Lamar or Kyler, let alone Mahomes, Allen and Herbert. It feels like you'd have to add, three first to Dak to get one of those top guys, you know, like you're just not going to do that. So it's easier to go down or it's easier to kind of like buy Dak if you can get him for Tua or Rogers or something like that. But yeah, you you just have to be creative. And um, I mean, I had a lot of Dak. I haven't really explored trading them. What I've done is basically go the other way. Like if I have Dak on a team and I'm not going to contend, I'm trading everything around him. Cause I, I, I do think that, 
the Cowboys, this is going to be their year where you just got to suck it up. Everything's going to go wrong this year. But you got to hope they figure it out next year and they surround Dak with a line and some weapons and he's right back to, he's a 29-year-old guy that has super productive historical efficiency and he's set up to smash as early as next year. That's what you got to hope for. Mm-hmm. Another one while you were talking that I was thinking about is if the Dak owner um, was, you know, going through and was going to be a contender this year, the Dak owner, and go ahead and take your Tom Brady and move up um, and give them Brady and something to get Dak back. I would think I would do that as well. Get off of that older asset, kind of like we were talking about with Rogers too. What do you think about that? If you'd move Brady. Then what's the ad? It's at least a first. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Brady. I mean, it's kind of similar as the Rogers trade that I kind of did, but yeah, Brady in a first for Dak. I'd probably be willing to, you know, do that if it's a team. You know, the Dak owner just got screwed um, as a contender, and they just lost their QB one or whatever. You give them Brady, and then you can get that younger asset back. I think that's something you can explore in your leagues as well. Yeah, I think I've been testing the market a little bit on Brady. I I think the Brady market's dead. I don't think you can eat you I don't think you can even get two seconds for Brady. The price is like a second, straight up. And I think a lot of people would pay that. The problem is the person with Brady isn't selling for that. But the person with Brady that's trying to sell isn't getting any more. So it's kind of like, what is his price? His price used to be a first, because that's what it took to acquire him away from the team that was using him if you even could do it. But I think it kind of feels like this is the last hurrah for Brady and everyone knows it. And we've been wrong on that before, but I think this just feels a little bit different. And you kind of have a lackluster performance from him in week one, like kind of feels like he might be more of a game manager in his last year than he is like a plus fantasy player. And people have wised up to that. I mean, honestly, are you, this is a, this can be maybe a gross example, but are you paying a second on top of Carson Wentz to go get Brady? Mm, probably not, no. Right. And two months ago, we would have laughed at the person that wouldn't have done that. You know what right. I mean? Like, we would have been like, oh, Carson Wentz, he sucks. But really, Carson Wentz for fantasy has never really been that bad. Like, he's actually been better than his reputation from an NFL perspective for fantasy. But but then you go down the line, and it's like, where what is the Brady pivot? Mm-hmm. There, there really isn't one. Like, let me ask you this. On teams where you need a quarterback, you just lost Dak, but you're trying to contend. What are you realistically paying for Brady? I think what you said uh, before, the two seconds, I think I'd be willing to do that to get Brady for the rest of the year. Okay. Before you pulled the trigger on Brady, though, would you offer the same thing for Wentz? Mm, yeah, I, I think... I think I could probably do that. A good stomach that. Would you rather have Jameis over Brady? Yes, I would rather have Jameis over Brady. Would you rather have Kenny Pickett? No, I think I would take the chance on Brady because I would need the guy now, especially if I lost Dak. Right. But I mean, I think that's the issue is that there's just not a lot of Brady deals because the person that has him wants too much. The people that don't have him don't want to pay much. So it yeah. needs to be like the perfect scenario for both sides to move them. 
but it almost just feels like I'm not even guaranteeing myself a top 12 quarterback if I buy Brady. And that's mm-hmm. not what the sentiment was in the offseason. That's not what it was last year. So I don't know. I think he's a good replacement, but it just depends on how much I can get him for. Because if I can pay one first or one second for Wentz or Tannehill, I, I'd rather do that than give up two for Brady. Mm-hmm. But yet a couple of months ago, we would have been like, no way I'll take Brady. Cause he could be quarterback too, you know, and this is just probably not going to happen. So it's just interesting how quick week one changes, especially at the quarterback position, what we thought we knew where we thought everybody was going to slot in. And then they don't, then you're kind of wondering, you know, where do you go from here? I mean, let me ask you this. If you're trying to buy Dak, are you willing to add Trey Lance to a deal to get Dak? No, I think right now I'd it would have to be straight up for me if I were to do that. Well, I mean, you get Dak in two seconds, and you give Trey Lance. Would you would you take the Dak side on that? Yeah, I would take the Dak side on that. Are yeah. you are you a little worried about Trey Lance? Oh, a little bit, yes. Okay. I I mean I'll, I'll give him a little pass because the weather was pretty shitty, but I think that this week against Seattle, you know, he's going to have to show that he could, you know. I mean, he doesn't have to like throw for 300 yards and run for 75, you know, like Jalen hurts hasn't been doing that. And Jalen hurts is just fine for fantasy. So I mean, have a little faith that Lance can be just fine. I'm not like super worried, but uh, there's just a, a small pause. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would agree if he loses this game. Yeah, and looks bad, then yeah, it's going to be... Uh, you lose this game team. and the Bears to start the year? I mean, that he's going to get crushed. Mm-hmm. Regardless yeah. of how many fantasy points he scores, he's going to get crushed because quarterbacks get measured by wins. And I mean, we know wins don't matter for fantasy, but wins keep jobs. Yep. Or at least wins keep market value up. If they lose this game, the dynasty community is going to be convinced that Jimmy Garoppolo's taken over and Lance's dynasty value just got cut by like 30% or your ability to sell him in a deal to get a guy like Dak, right? Right. And I think it would it's to, like you said totally different story if it's Nate Sudfeld sitting behind Trey Lance instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo come in and lead teams to deep playoff runs, so yeah, I think that that changes the the whole scenario with Jimmy being there if, if they lose again this week. So you have a good team. Lance is your QB two. Are you trading Lance straight up for Watson? Yes, I would do that. Regardless of, even if you are the, a contending team, you're, you're doing it straight up. Yeah. And you, I'm just eat looking, the weeks on Watson. Yeah. I'm just looking at Watson as, Oh, you know, he, uh, Broke his collarbone or some other injury, even though he didn't really get injured. You know, oh, well, I'm missing him for whatever, 10 more weeks. And then he comes back and then Deshaun's right back to top five quarterback. So, yeah, I w- I'd be willing to do that and just get off of Lance. Yeah, I mean, that's a bet against Lance straight up. There's no hiding what, what your motive is there. That's basically yeah. I'm I'm willing to eat basically almost a whole year worth of starts because I know Watson is good and I, I'm not sure Lance is. Mm-hmm. And I can see there'll be other people that would go. They would absolutely do that. They would take their bet against Watson and just go get Lance. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an interesting one that was not, you couldn't have gotten Lance for Watson before the season started. You can now after one game. Right. So that, that just, that's another one of those situations that literally, I mean, this was Trey Lance's third start of his career. And it's already, we're already here. His value's already gone from like 
ahead of Watson to now there's people that want out to get Watson. So right. it's, it's, it's just very fascinating how, how much that narrative moves in one week. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but I'm uh, I've always been a Deshaun Watson's a top five guy, even when he was last year, kind of stuff with, with uh, being out all year. And then the suspension news, I was always a Watson's a top five guy. I mean, before all the, the stuff came out, you know, with, with him, I had him as dynasty quarterback number two, right behind Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, I've always been pretty high on Deshaun Watson. So that, that's why I would personally do it. Cause I, I think he's easily top five when he comes back. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2020 Watson ranked first in YPA third in adjusted YPA sixth in fantasy in terms of total points, fifth in points per game. If you look at his, efficiency numbers in terms of like his points created for his weapons they were both in the top five Mm -hmm. it's like watson's great i i don't understand the narrative of people that are like oh well when he comes back he might he might not be as good as he was Mm. you know what i mean like it's almost like he hasn't picked up a football in two years like sure will he be rusty for a week or two or three weeks probably but just to assume that a guy that's basically put up I don't want to say like Mahomes-esque numbers through the first four years of his career starting, but very close to it is just going to be like not starter worthy. Like it's one of the worst arguments there is. Right. Like he may not come back and win an MVP, but to come back and think he's going to be like, you know, Davis Mills level. Like, come yeah. on. Come like, on. I, he, he's better than Dak. Like he, he, he's, he's close. He's, he's better than Dak. I would say Dak is pretty close. Like Dak is pretty good, but I think both of them can be uber elite if they're put in the right situation and their Watson, efficiency numbers are really good. And Watson's going to run a lot more than Dak will too. Cause Watson's going to add you 400 rushing yards probably. Yeah. I mean, if he does what he did in the past, then yes, I, I would definitely take Watson over Dak, but I, I think, where things stand right now. Like those are two guys that are, I don't want to say they're bulletproof because obviously there's some, there is a little bit of injury worry with Dak. I mean, this is his second major injury in like 24 months, but is it a fluke? I mean, this injury was a fluke. You know what I mean? His thumb got caught on a defender. Like, what are you supposed to do? That could happen to any quarterback at any time. Yeah. So I think there's an opportunity if you can get, like I know I'm looking at my uh, my portfolio right now. I mean, I have total Watson 7, 12%, so 7 out of 57, and then total DAC, I have 10. So I did have a lot of DAC, but mm-hmm. like I, I, it makes me want to go get more Watson, man. Like I, I almost yeah. want to go get some Watson. If I can move Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, even if I have to add something like it, I want to get more Watson. I don't want to miss out this window that's just continually been. Would you uh, Would you just go offer Dak for for Watson straight up? Um, for me because I have more Dak. Yeah, I don't think that gets done though. Because I mean, why would you do that as a Watson manager? Yeah, no, I, I have Watson, and I'm going to probably be without Dak for. Here's the thing: I'm going to be without Dak for at least a month, maybe two months. Mm. What am I even getting when he comes back? Right. Like he might come back after five games and then you're like, oh, his thumb's not right. And he takes three more games to even be like startable. Mm-hmm. And then and he then, comes back to what weapons and what yeah. line, you know what I mean? So I think they're both kind of like a wash for this year. 
if you can use them later in the season and they kind of get things right, then that's a bonus. But I think it, the, the move is to go and trade your Lawrence and your Lance, those guys that feel more volatile than we probably you, value in Dynasty. And do you think you'd have to add to Dak to get Watson then? Yes. And what would you think the add would have to be, you think? I mean, Watson trades are tricky because it all comes down to the person that has them. The guy that has Watson right now is probably the one that's like, I don't give a shit about Watson's off the field stuff. Like I, I want Watson. So they could care less about, you know, any of the other reasons why you might not want him. Mm-hmm. So you're basically going to have to pay second price, probably a second. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. D- Dak in a second for Watson. And I think I'd probably do that, especially after our rookie uh, warp draft pick podcast, like those second round picks after like the two Oh five, two Oh six are almost meaningless. So it's like, I'll, I'll pay that. So, and yeah, I and if you I have would... a team where like Lawrence is your QB three mm-hmm. and you can fire off like Lawrence in two seconds to get Watson, Lawrence in a second to get Dak, like I, I'm okay doing those deals. Yeah, I agree with that. So I think that's how you play it. So, I mean, we got a little bit away from the Cowboys, but I kind of wanted to touch on the rest of those guys, what you want to do with them for the rest of the season now. Zeke, CD Lamb, Schultz, Pollard. I mean, what are you doing with those guys? Like, we were kind of talking about it pre-show. I don't really want to start Zeke. I don't really want to start Pollard. I don't even know if I don't even want to start Lamb, you know, for the for the for this however long Dax out. Yeah, I mean, Zeke, listen, Zeke you couldn't do anything with. Zeke was basically a one-year bet of let's get as many touches as we can get. So I actually don't think Zeke is changes that much. I think he's now just a lower end dead zone running back than he was before. But before he was just like an RB 20 anyway, where if you had him, you probably weren't selling him because you knew you could lock in 15 to 18 touches every game with a couple catches. Cause I mean, he's had multiple seasons of 50 plus catches. So like you knew he was going to probably give you a floor of like 16 points. You know what I mean? So I, you just can't move Zeke now. Now it's like you're, you're better off keeping him as a, like high leverage backup slash fringe starter because you can't get anything for him. I think the real losers in this trade are Pollard is a definite loser. He goes from like a flex running back to honestly, like there's probably 45 to 50 running backs. I'd take over Pollard at this point. Like you're getting down into like the kind of the lower end handcuffs to where like, honestly, are you taking Tony Pollard over Rashad white? No, yeah, I'd probably have Rashad White right now. Yep. I mean, are you taking Tony Pollard even over, like, Michael Carter, Kenneth Gainwell, Naheem Hines? Like, I want all those guys over Pollard. You know yeah, what I mean? So, I that where does he fall in? I mean, I, you could almost say you'd rather have, like, Melvin Gordon or James Robinson over him. At least if there's an injury, I know those guys could smash. Yeah. And are already, like, partially usable. And Pollard's a free agent at the end of the year. They could just let him walk, too, and let him go, you know, somewhere else. Well, so and I think too. The, the contingency value on Pollard is also he's a free agent. Maybe he'll have some buzz. Maybe he's the next Chase Edmonds where he gets a contract and his value spikes. Like, you can hope for that. But when you get down to that range in running backs, I don't really even want to look to the future much. They're all replaceable. You know what I mean? Like if your 2022 outlook looks like shit, what is your value? So I think Pollard is a big loser. I mean, Lamb is a big loser, honestly. Yeah. 
This mm-hmm. was his year that he needed to smash. And yep. let me ask you how we've talked about this in the, the discord a little bit, but like lamb, isn't going to smash this year, Eric, right? Yeah. He's just not, he might get a shit ton of targets, but you really think he's going to finish in the top 20 this year receiver wise? Nope. Okay. So is the community going to give him a pass when he doesn't because Dak was out? I don't think so. No. Cause you know, what's crazy is he was valued as pretty much a consensus top five, top six receiver in dynasty. But like we were, like you said, we were talking about in the discord, like Michael Pittman or CD lamb. I think I'm, I think I'm taking Michael Pittman now. I think CD lamb has fallen from top five to maybe top 15, top 20 in dynasty. Like he's fallen almost 10, 15 spots because of this. I mean, I sent you a CD lamb for Drake London and you probably would rather have Drake London. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd rather have Drake London. I mean, and that's, a, I think you did it because you saw that I acquired Dak. That was that Dak trade that I did earlier for Rogers. Yeah. I figured you're going to have the stack, but I, I almost was kind of like, I, if I sent it to you straight up, you'd probably just take Drake London, right? Yeah, right now. And, and I don't have very much Drake London, too, so that's another reason. Um, but, yeah, I've been kind of debating on, you know, I, I the, the fantasy community has gotten so much smarter, but I'm like, man, I should take some of my CD lambs and see if I can, like, pivot down to Michael Pittman or, you know, someone in that range and – see what ha- happens there if I can get a deal done because I, I don't think you can. I, th- I think I it's either. clearly Pittman over Lamb. I think you're down in the – honestly, if you, re- if you really want to dump Lamb, I think the move is you have to trade for another receiver that isn't getting all the buzz, but you're just betting is a better player than Lamb. Like DK Metcalf's a better player than Lamb. Right. If both of their 2022 seasons are shit, I'd rather have Metcalf going into next year. Correct. Yeah. So same with T Higgins. I T Higgins, I think is better than lamb. He just is. I mean, his historic numbers are better. His 2022 is going to be better. Assuming he comes back from his concussion. Yeah. And after that, you can reassess, but we already, we already know. And that's why I asked you what's going to happen to lamb's value. Is it going to fall or are people going to go, okay, let's say he has a wide receiver 28 season this year. Like he gets a lot of targets because they don't have anybody else, but he's just super inefficient with them and not to his fault, not his fault either because his offense just sucks. Mm Where is he going to be in the dynasty ranks next season? Wide receiver five, six, seven still? Lamb, no. I think that's why I, I said earlier, I think he's fallen to like the 10, 15 range. I think like Michael Pittman's moving ahead of him. T Higgins is moving ahead of him. You know, players like that are are just going to move ahead of him now. Um, I mean, if D, DJ Moore, would you take have DJ Moore or CD Lamb? Uh, DJ Moore is a far better receiver than CD Lamb. Mm-hmm. But basically, they become the same bet where it's like, okay, their situations are going to determine what their ceilings are going to be. And we already know CeeDee Lamb's situation is going to be with Dak. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, he's got one of the elements and DJ Moore has the other, but neither of them has both. Right. And the other meaning, like, CeeDee Lamb hasn't shown the ability to, like, dominate targets in a good offense yet. Right. So, I guess I'd be, I'd be, I'd want to see CeeDee Lamb go out there and even dominate 28, 30% of the market share this year. If he does that, 
I will give him kind of a pass for not producing this year because his quarterback efficiency is going to suck. But if he goes out and is just kind of like, man, you know, gets seven, eight targets a game and doesn't really like what we want to see from CD lamb now is he is the focus of the offense, even with a shitty offense. Like he has games where he has three or four games where he goes 10 for 150. And they just can't stop him, even when everyone knows he's getting the ball. If he can do that, I'll bu- I'll buy that he can be the wide receiver three, four, five. Because when it gets right with Dak, he's going to smash. But he hasn't done that in his career thus far. I think the move with Lamb is he's very similar to, like, would you trade Lamb for Rashad Bateman in a second? Mm. I think it's close. It just kind of depends on what you think about Bateman. I, and I'll say they're the same guy. Right. I was thinking of a couple while you were talking, too. Would you do C.D. Lamb and get Gabe Davis in a first? Yeah, good good, good luck getting that, though. I don't know. I mean, if, if people, if good people luck love getting Gabe, it. I, I just think that's that's a possibility. I mean, would you do Gabe in a second, then, if you don't want to do the first? No, I'd rather have Lamb. But when you're when you're talking about the first and another receiver that I think I could hack my way to like a top twenty four season anyway, mm-hmm. regardless of what their future becomes, yeah, I mean that's the that's the classic wide receiver pivot down move where you get a first. And what basically we're saying is if Lamb falls down to the wide receiver twelve to twenty range next year, that's basically like a mid first in twenty three anyway. You know what I mean? So you're really not that far off. Right. I mean, let me let me ask you this. If I told you you're going to have the wide receiver one in next year's class, you don't have to pick them now, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guarantee you any time, any receiver you get in next year's class and you get to pick after you see all their information, their draft capital, their landing spot and everything, would you rather have that over Lamb? Mm, that's close. Um, yeah, I think I'd probably take the younger guy just because Lamb has not shown it yet. Uh, you know, knowing all this info, Lamb is not showing that he is the elite alpha number one receiver like Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or T- Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, any of those guys. He's not showing it. So, yeah, I think I'd probably would. And I think your hesitation was you just don't know what guy that's going to be. It's probably Boutte or, or JSN, one of those two. Right, but the I think your hesitation just was you're not sure who it is, but mm-hmm. I bailed you out and said you don't even have to pick. Yeah. Because you know there's going to be a receiver drafted high in the NFL draft next year, and probably one of them is going to go to a good landing spot. Right. And you're going to be like, oh, you know, JSN went to, you know, this offense. And you're like, okay, I'll take him over Lamb. That's all I you mean, need. I mean, hell, it could even be um, one of these guys going to Dallas. Like they're picking in the top ten or top twelve, you know. Yeah, we we had that conversation. If Dallas were to take like Butte in the top ten, mm-hmm. I think people would take him over Lamb. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And I think other pivots. I mean, if you want to go down to uh, Deontay Johnson or uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Elijah Moore, if you can get pluses with those, like you there's a decent shot. You just get the better guy, you know, right. I'm going so, to explore that with some of my CD lambs. Cause I have a lot of him. How much lamb do you have? Um, I'd have to look it up. Um, but I'll, I'll do that real quick while we're talking, but yeah, I mean, he's, 
he's really interesting, man, especially with um, everything that's going on with him right now, man. I, I just think if you can get, like, all those names that you mentioned, if you can get one of those guys with a plus, like, you're not losing that much value. So does it make um, – because we were talking about some of the other options. I mean – it, we already talked to Zeke. Zeke and Pollard kind of were what they were already. You know what I mean? They were one-year bets for this year, and now the, this year looks like it's a lost cause. So I think mm-hmm. both those guys just – they stay where they were, and they just fall a little bit. They become less desirable, both of them. Uh, are you – I mean, I know you said you still like Dalton Schultz, but mm-hmm. like the, his value was kind of – like his his resell value on the market was low. No one wanted to buy him, but a lot of people that had him were excited about him being like a top five tight end this year. Mm-hmm. But like, what do you do with Dalton Schultz? Do you just kind of got to like hold him and hope he re-signs with Dallas? But you're not even going to get the year of like smash production from him. You're probably getting like a low end tight end one at very best. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think he was all tied to Dak and then that, that efficiency, man, it's tough with him. I think I would just hold on this year and hopefully Cooper Rush can at least keep him afloat because I think he's, you know, other than Lamb, he's, you know, the go-to guy probably for those shorter routes where Cooper Rush could have his success. So I think he could still be a bottom-end tight end one, but he's not like in the like tight end five, tight end six range now. Um, so I think I would just kind of hold on to him unless I can get a better deal and pivot off of him somehow. Like if I can get – um you know, get rid of Schultz and, you know, somebody's like low on Dawson Knox after his shitty week one, if I can get like, you know, Dawson Knox and a, I don't even know if a second's even do it, but even Knox and a third for Schultz, I'd be willing to do that. Well, and it's interesting because I sent you a Dalton Schultz for Noah Fant deal before the season and you declined it. Right. But that was a contract league. So that had a little bit more to do with it. Okay, but even if it wasn't a contract league, that was that even a smash accept for you to begin with? Um, I would have, yeah, I would have uh, smash accepted it if if the contract I didn't have to um, spend a bunch of money on for next year. So, given that, and I, and because I tried to trade a bunch of Dalton Schultz shares for that reason, like. If, if I know I'm not starting him weekly and he's just like another player on my roster, maybe he's my tight end two or tight end three. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to pivot off of him for a couple guys that I thought I was buying low on. But you couldn't really sell Schultz for like his redraft projection. You know what I mean? Like people had him projected as a top six tight end, but he really wasn't trading for even top 10 tight end prices. Mm-hmm. Are you now more inclined to maybe like buy a guy like Schultz? And try to sell maybe a tight end like Gerald Everett or someone like that or Albert O or someone that actually could produce this year. But you're betting the other way now that, hey, I'm buying Schultz low and shit. If Schultz resigns with Dallas in the offseason and he's tied with Dak, like maybe he should be like a top eight tight end in Dynasty. But his price doesn't reflect that now. So I'm actually more apt to like buy some Schultz if I can go and sell some of these tight ends that I know are not. You know, Gerald Everett's great when he's tied to Herbert, but if he went to like, you know, the Bears, he's dead. You know what I mean? So would you go the other way on Schultz just because everyone's off of him now? Yeah, I I think you brought up some good points there, especially for some of those back end tight ends, Ardo and Everett. Um, If you're tired of Cole Komet's bullshit, you can do that too because I know I'm tired of it. So. 
I mean, would you trade Zach Ertz for Schultz? Yeah, I definitely would do that for sure. And I think that if Zach Ertz comes out and he's healthy and has a, a decent game this weekend, like I, I think that that's at least in the cards that someone would consider that, you know? Right. And, and I end. I have uh, six CD Lamb shares. Just to update that. Okay. Yeah, you got more than me though. He's uh, of the like, stud top ten receivers. He's my my most owned it with six shares, and then next would be AJ Brown at five. Yeah, you got to uh, you got to try. You got to be creative. Maybe try to find a couple stacks on those teams where you can buy a right. like a Judy and or Sutton or Marquise Brown or someone like that. You know that you already can stack with one be one of your quarterbacks and try to do it that way. Right, right. All right. Next one I wanted to bring up was um, the Najee Harris concern. So obviously he had the Liz Frank injury in training camp at some point, re-injured it this week again. Looks like he's fine. He's practiced fully today, so he should be good to go. But we kind of talked about this on Sunday or Monday, one of the days. Uh, Pittsburgh's offensive line looks like crap again. You know, the quarterback situation doesn't look any better than last year with Roethlisberger. At least Roethlisberger was willing to dump it off to Najee multiple times. And and Trubisky's just not doing that right now. And if he's only going to get three yards per carry, he's going to, you know, 23 carries for 60 yards and maybe get you two catches for 11 yards, kind of something like he did last week against the Bengals. Like, we valued Najee as a top three running back in Dynasty I'm on the sell Najee and pivot down, get, I don't Can you get Joe Mixon in a first for Najee just off of the name? Something like that. No way. I, I think right now, yeah. if you try to trade Najee, you're not even, you are having to add a first to Najee to get like Barkley. Interesting. I, I think the Najee, and now this is, again, this is recency bias. This is one of those examples of overcorrecting to where, you know, good luck trying to put Najee and Javante Williams or Najee and DeAndre Swift in the same tier. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I, I think he's fallen down a, definitely a tier. That's why I was thinking like Mixon's in there and Dalvin's in there. Um, you know, those types of players. Can you can somebody look at Najee and be like, oh, man, it's Najee Harris. He's still a top three running back. You know, here's my Joe Mixon, my Dalvin Cook. That's maybe like eighth or ninth. Can I can, you know, somebody still believe that much in Najee to to give me the plus that I need to move them? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I don't have much Najee, so I can't really do anything there. But that's just kind of something I've been thinking about. Like, man, I like, it's kind of like C.D. Lamb. We've been having C.D. Lamb as a top five guy. I don't know if Najee Harris is a top five guy with without um, a good offensive line and a quarterback that's willing to dump it off to him. No, he's, pr- he's probably... I mean, I was saying this in the Discord earlier this week. He's probably like a rich man's David Montgomery, where his value was milked into the fact that he's an adequate pass catcher, that the team will play on three downs. You know, he can he can walk into 50 or 60 catches just because they're willing to play him so much. But like efficiency-wise, explosiveness-wise, like he's not very good. He's more of a plotter than he is like a guy that can be a top 12 running back on 230 touches like DeAndre Swift can, you know? And if you ever give him 300 touches like Eckler, he's like RB1. Like Najee just not, he's not going to be like that. And I'm not saying he's not good, but the problem is you have a guy where you go, well, why? Okay, Eric, before the year, why do you value Najee as a top five running back? And what would your answer have been? Well, they're going to give a shit ton of touches, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And now he's got a foot injury that's going to come back every single fucking week. Yep. And so there, there goes your shit ton of touches argument because in any given week he might not get a shit ton of touches. And, and I thought, man, Trubisky is a guy who who doesn't mind dumping it down because he did give David Montgomery a seventy catch season like his year two when he won a lot of people fantasy championships. But I don't even know if Trubisky's gonna even do that. Like he wasn't doing it the first week. I mean, you watched that game a lot. You know what? What did you see? Uh, there. They, you know what they looked like? They looked like the Bengals running game the last couple years at Dalton. They just can't. They just can't move the ball. It's like they're running in mud. Right. And that's kind of like the, how Mixon was early on in his career. You know, like he needed 15 touchdowns and dump off catches to become an RB one. Yeah. And that's what Najee's going to be. Like Najee can still be fine, but he also isn't the type of prototype of a running back that I really wanted to buy to begin with. And now that he has these other things going for him, it's kind of like you can't even touch any of the other top eight to 10 running backs. And I don't really disagree with people by saying that either. Like if you went to someone and said, I'll give you Najee for, you know, Barkley, they're laughing. Two months ago, you'd have been like, I'll take Najee over Barkley, you know? And I think if you go and try to get Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Mixon, Kamara, the price is a lot closer to equal than what you probably want to think it is for the team that has to give up one of those guys. Cause I could tell myself a story where Mixon, Dalvin cook and Eckler are top five running backs this year. Right. Najee's not going to be, he he'd get to the top five if he was healthy for every game and got 24 touches in every game. But you don't even want to bank on that now, given that he's now had two foot injuries of the same nature in four weeks. Right. And you know, it's going to be a bad team. So it, this is just a lesson learned on, I don't want to say you should pay for talent at running back because obviously you want to also pay for talent that's getting opportunity. But as soon as players with no talent or not, no talent, that's bad. That's mean above average, average to above average talent. When they lose all, a lot of their opportunity or a lot of their upside because of the offensive efficiency, people don't want them. What about like, um, a running back at week one that disappointed, like Travis Etienne. Do you think the Etienne and a first for Najee Harris? I I don't think you're getting any top twenty running back plus a first for Najee. That that's how far down his market is. I think I don't think you could get Kenneth Walker in a twenty three first for Najee. Interesting. I think I think somebody would smash except that. Interesting. I'm, let me ask you this: Would you do that? No, I wouldn't do it. I would keep Najee personally. Interesting. Interesting. AJ Dillon? AJ Dillon, I would do, yeah. Uh, Leonard Fournette? No, I think I would rather keep Najee there. James Conner? No, definitely Najee. Okay. So we're down in that range where if it's below that kind of like cut line, like RB 20. Yeah, it's, it's not like Najee's like doesn't have talent or anything. It's not what I'm trying to say at all. It's just, I think he, he's below those other guys, but people still valued him as the top five dynasty running back. You know, well, I'm, but you're, trying to, I'm trying to sell off of that price basically if I can. Right. But I think logistically, if you could get like Kenneth Walker in a 23 first, 
there's a really good shot that that 23 first, even if it's not going to be Bijan, if it's the RB four in next year's class, that yeah, like it's, it's that, risky. Ken Walker. It's risky, but it could be basically two shots at a guy like Kenneth Walker with his pedigree versus one Najee. And you can argue, I guess, if you don't think Najee is going to be one of those high warp running backs, then mm. I'd rather have the two over the one. You know what I mean? I mean, I I would feel a lot better if Pittsburgh had a an actually decent offensive line, but none of those five guys are like probably would start on like half the teams in the league. Like if you went through it, like they're just all bottom 20 offensive linemen at their positions, uh, you know, left tackle, right tackle, whatever. They're probably all in the bottom 20 starters. So it's like they literally have to rebuild the entire offensive line and commit to it in the off season. They have to use draft picks. They have to bring in free agents. You know, they're going to have to like make some massive changes at that offensive line. And they didn't do any of it this year. So they just are wasting another year of Najee. Can they really, you know, fix four, four spots next year? Sure, it's possible, but I mean, it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of draft picks, and plus they're going to have other holes. You know, it's it's interesting. And I think you're just talking yourself more into this isn't just going to fix itself by the beginning of 2023 for Najee. Like, there's going to be part of his value that's going to have to be reliant on massive usage. And that's the one worry about this foot injury is either a, he can sustain this usage this year through the foot injury, but then B next year, you're starting to hear like, well, maybe they want to bring in another guy and maybe use a 75, 25 backfield just because they don't want to run Najee into the ground. You know, like they want to give him a little bit of a breather instead of, I mean, what did he play? Like 91% of the snaps last year, like an insane amount of snaps. So there's that possibility. Uh, And then the second possibility is like, you know, is he still going to get, the 60 catches that he got last year. If he gets 40 catches, he's not getting there. He's just not, he's not scoring 15 touchdowns. And if he's not catching 50 plus balls, he's not going to be a top 10 running back. He's just not. The only way he gets there is just, he's, he's basically like what Zeke was in the later half of his career. Like, Oh yeah, he's RB six. Well, why was he RB six Eric? Because he played every game and he had 358 touches, you know, but he really only averaged like 14.8 points per game. That that's like kind of what Najee might end up being. So if I can get a mid first and a guy like Kenneth Walker, that I mean could be a complete zero. But man, if all you're giving away is a guy like Zeke in the last three or four years of his career, that's barely worth a mid first in twenty three anyway. But sounds like I need to trade you some Najee shares. I could get a mid first from you and a and a filler running back. You know, easy. Yeah. It's something we can we can explore a little bit, but I mean, I'm not even the guy. I'm the guy trying to sell Najee if I had him. So I don't know how I how I, I became the buyer in this Be- because I think that this is just a good conversation where I'm not even saying you're Mister Let's Go Buy Najee because you're not. Yeah. But I think this discussion we're having is kind of challenging each other on the kind of the psychological bias you have on what his value should have been versus the reality, like kind of slaps you in the face and what it really should be. Yeah. Like right now, would you trade JK Dobbins and a mid 23 first for Najee? I would probably take Dobbins in the first, I think. Okay. And Dobbins has been dead for a year. Yep. 
but he's but coming back now. So now I don't, I didn't have to hold him all that time. I'm now I'm getting JK Dobbins, the actual point scorer on my team now, you know, but, but you also would just acknowledge that even if JK Dobbins becomes a zero and doesn't come back, mm-hmm. sure. You gambled and you lost that deal by a little bit, but if you still end up getting the one Oh eight next year and you get the RB three or four in the class, it's not a complete loss. You know what I mean? You right, still yeah. might be getting another Javante or ETN or Kenneth Walker. Right. I agree. So I, I think you almost have to explore this deal. You have to alleviate your prior convictions on what Najee is and just kind of take, and I could be wrong, but I'm just looking at this. Like if I'm taking the best outcome, I think that's most likely if you can get a two for one deal like that on him, you just do it. You just take it. And if he exceeds that and he, he goes on to have multiple top eight finishes, I lost. Right. Okay. So it's a good, it's a good discussion though. Cause I think people take too long to adjust. And really, I think that's one of the situations with the foot injury and how bad the Steelers offense. I think that's one we can, uh, we can react pretty confidently that we kind of know what it's going to look like the rest of the year. And it's not going to be like wheels up league winner, you know? Right. Right. All right, next one I wanted to bring in. We kind of already touched on Trey Lance a little bit, so we don't have to really get into Trey Lance. But the 49ers, obviously they looked, you know, not as good this week. Lost to the Bears. You know, the 49ers were a pretty big favorite in Vegas this week, so they lost. Um, And then Elijah Mitchell got hurt. He's probably going to be out for eight weeks. Obviously, I, I was the big Elijah Mitchell fan. I had a lot of him, still have a lot of him. And I'm kind of, you know, insert, you know, Darth Vader gif here. The you have failed me for the last time. And that's kind of where I'm at with Elijah. Like, all right, man, I gave you all this chance. And then here it is week one. Yeah, it's a fluke injury. Somebody, you know, hit you in the side of your knee. And I get it. It's like a fluke injury. But it's like, man, this guy just cannot stay healthy for the life of him. And I wanted to give him a shot. Like, I believed in everything. But now I'm just kind of all right, I'm ready to, to just sell, you know, if somebody is willing to buy. Can I get a second-round pick for Elijah Mitchell in your in your opinion? Uh, maybe. Okay. But I actually think that if the answer is no, I would actually be okay buying Elijah Mitchell if I could sell another running back that is essentially going for a second on the open market. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because really what you'd be buying Elijah Mitchell for was isn't that he's going to be out eight weeks. It's that you have a shot when he comes back that he gives you, let's say he takes a game or two to get back up to speed, but he gets his rollback and he gives me four or five startable weeks. Right. Back to the warp pod, right? Like if you can trade a second and you can get four starts out of a running back where you think they can give you 15 points, Mm -hmm. that's probably worth trading a random second for. So, yeah, I don't, sell, I don't uh, think you can get a second for him if you spammed, but I think there's other running backs that are available. Like, could you get Elijah Mitchell and a third for Daryl Henderson? Something like that, you know? Right. Would you do just Tony Pollard for Elijah Mitchell straight up? I'd, I'd rather have Mitchell probably. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Because I'm so just you- looking, I'm looking straight ahead the rest of the year. I don't necessarily see a scenario where Tony Pollard, I want to smash him in my lineup at all costs. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mitchell, like if he comes back, I mean, the fear is he just doesn't come back and get the same rollback. 
But if he does, I'm, you know, I'd much rather have him down the stretch than Tony Pollard. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm kind of, you know, I said, you know, starting this off that I'm, I want to sell him, but I'm also agree with you too, that man, if he's, you know, people are just going to sell him for a third, I'll buy him for a damn third, you know, or a third and, um, you know, just a filler running back, a Sony Michelle or something like that. Miles Gaskin, here you go. Here's my third and running back for Elijah Mitchell. And I'll buy some too. So now I was just curious to see if you would, uh, if you would do the same thing on him. All right. So here's one. Would you give up Jordan Mason, Jeff Wilson, and a third for Elijah Mitchell right now? Um, Probably not. No, I think I would take Wilson. You'd rather have the third and the two options. Yes. Okay. Because, I mean, I think pure dynasty value-wise, like, that's pretty fair. Yeah, I agree. But the fact that you say you'd rather have the third and the two pieces basically says you're looking at Elijah Mitchell as just a, he's a mercenary week-to-week, when-can-I-play-him type option. I have no hopes that he has any sort of, like, reclaim value for dynasty. He's basically a week-to-week, when-can-I-play-him option, and what is that worth in picks, right? Right. Okay. Like you're, you're pretty sure he's not, it's going to be very hard for him to do enough to end this year to where he's the unquestioned bell cow going into next year. Like, I don't think the team is going to just not do anything. Cause every year in the last like four years, they've made significant backfield changes every year. Right. Yeah. And they're just going to add somebody else again next year at some point in the middle of the draft, third, fourth, fifth round. Like they always do. They'll add another guy. I mean, they brought in Marlon Mack off the streets, you know, and he's on their practice squad now. So now Marlon Mack's going to get a shot at some point. I'm sure. Um, I don't know if you saw the whole list of running backs that they even brought in. There was Abram Smith was on there. They brought Tevin Coleman back. Uh, Devante Freeman, I think was on that list too. So like, you know, they brought in a bunch of guys for tryouts too. So they're willing to just, just start adding guys and, and see what happens. Would you rather have Elijah Mitchell or Pacheco? Elijah Mitchell, I think. Elijah Mitchell or Isaiah Spiller? Spiller. I still believe. Still believe. Interesting. So if you could sell your Mitchell for Spiller right now, you'd do it? I think you could go you can go dump two or three of your Mitchell shares in the next ten minutes if you're willing to sell for Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, and I'd see if I could sneak like a third round pick back or a fourth round pick back just because I'm uh, I like to do that. You better get it done before they listen to America's game. Yeah, well good thing we're recording this on Thursday and it doesn't come out till Saturday morning. So I got a day or two. Yeah. Um the next one that you brought up uh, pre show I thought was interesting. Um Mike Evans with Tampa Bay this week. Um, this is more of a probably a this week kind of kind of thing, but with Lattimore, um, he shut him down seven straight games in a row now. Or is that a guy that you know you want to sell sell Evans or just, or you just want to just sit him this week? Yeah. So the last seven games against Marshawn Lattimore, Evans has averaged one point five catches and twenty six yards. In 10 career games, he only has 15 catches against Lattimore. So 15, 266 in three touchdowns in 10 games. So if you do the math, that is 59.6 PPR points in 10 games. So what's that? 5.9 points per game? Yeah. So, I mean, it could it change? Yes, but... 
Evans isn't one of those guys that's like a hyper targeted player, even like he, it's not like he goes out and wins because he gets 12 targets a game. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's just one of those where it's like, this is more of a week to week thing, but even so with, you know, this is a game where Evans could be without potentially, I mean, Evans is banged up himself, but you know, everyone on the team is banged up. Basically Godwin's going to be out. Julio and Gage have been banged up. Evans has been banged up, but I think he's a guy you can't take out of your lineups. But man, like when I saw those numbers, I was like, yeah, Lattimore has really just shut him down. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I don't know. He's definitely a guy moving down this week, but I mean, there's not really any dynasty implications to that, but I thought it was interesting because everyone's like, oh, they're not going to have anybody else but Evans. I mean, I was looking at uh, looking at Draft Sharks and see where they had Evans because I'm pretty sure they had Evans pretty freaking high for week two at wide receivers. I mean, they have him at wide receiver 14. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trusting that one. But I mean, are you really starting him over both the Broncos guys against the Texans? Yeah, no, I'm just looking at their list. Yeah, I'll, I'll take... Both of those guys, I'll take Christian Kirk over him, Christian Kirk over him, Hollywood over him, Michael Thomas in the same game. I'd probably take Deontay got a hell of a lot of targets last week. Again, I'd probably take Deontay over him. Probably going Gabe Davis at home against Tennessee, right? Yep. Gabe Davis against Tennessee. Definitely would take that. So yeah, there, there's, there's quite a few guys I would start over him, but it's going to be hard, to, hard to sit him. He's probably more of a wide receiver three for me this week. Yeah, he's not in. I mean, he's he can't be in the sit range just because, like, if you can start four, five, six receivers, I'm like, what are you, what are you really doing? But right, it's just, it's just interesting. He's one of those guys where you, you know, he's running out of time from like a dynasty perspective, and this is a, there's going to be two games this year where he's going to probably get shut down. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you don't have many smash games left with him, and that doesn't even include the fact that Godwin could come back and whatnot. But yeah, I thought that was an interesting tidbit to see because his career numbers against Lattimore, like holy hell, they've been bad. Right, that was an interesting tidbit that you brought up. So I was, I I knew that uh, fact. I just didn't know how bad it was until you brought up the numbers. So yeah, yeah. And then the last one of the week one takeaways I wanted to bring up was Green Bay. Obviously, they were a total shit show. Um, AJ Dillon was pretty much like the RB one and Aaron Jones was kind of like the, I don't want to say gadget player, but you know, the second fiddle there. Um, and then the wide receivers, obviously without Alan Lazard, all of those wide receivers were, were God awful. Now green Bay did this last year on the road against new Orleans week one and got absolutely just taken to the woodshed by new Orleans in week one last year. And this happened again this year. Um, this year in Minnesota. So is Green Bay a team that you're just looking to like, you just want maybe Rodgers, Dylan, and Aaron Jones, and that's about it? Um, no, I mean, I think I'll kind of play it the other way. I think that if you want Rodgers, there's got to be some weapons that you want to. We just don't know who it is. I mean, the good news is it's not, probably Sammy Watkins or Randall Cobb, which is fine. Cause like those guys are kind of just cloggers that we're going to get in the way of it potentially being dubs or Watson or Lazard or Tanyan. But like, I just didn't want it to be Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. Like hopefully those guys have kind of like faded away. Like they had their opportunities early 
and they're not going to be the ones that are going to continue to ramp up. I mean, you, here's the thing. Everyone is kind of giving like dubs and Watson shit for not playing well, but like they were basically the top two guys in the first game. That's their first game. You know, like, what did you expect? Did people really expect the Packers to come out and put up like 30 points? So, I mean, you were kind of just, I mean, sure. I would have loved for one of those guys to smash and make a couple big plays and be like, yeah, that's going to be the guy going forward. But I'm kind of like, if I'm invested in Rodgers, I mean, I think every team I have Rodgers, I'm invested in either Lazard or Dubs. I, I sold my only Watson share, but like if, if I could buy Watson on a couple of those teams, it wouldn't be horrible. But like, I'm kind of like going down the ship with Rodgers and just banking that he is going to take one or two of these guys with him. You know what I mean? Cause I already been invested in Rodgers. If none of these guys step up, then I mean, Rodgers is going to be dog shit. Mm-hmm. Like he might be good. Like he might efficiency be, be good, but it's not going to be any sort of like, you know, top 15 fantasy numbers. Cause he's just not going to have the production. Right. It's going to be like a typical Rogers year, except for it's going to be 20% less touchdowns and 20% less yards and a slower paced offense. And they were already one of like the top 10 slowest paced offenses in the league anyway. Mm. So I, I, I kind of, am, I don't want to say I'm in on Rogers, but I'm kind of like, if, if I'm already in on Rogers, I might as well be in on one of the weapons, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Tunyon came back and it was really his first, game action because he didn't play in the preseason at all. We didn't really hear too much form from him in um, training camp practices or anything, but I thought he looked pretty uh, explosive in his few uh, catches that he got. And then, um, you know, I think it's another good thing for Lazard too, that Dubs and Watson didn't come in and just dominate, you know, and obviously Watkins and Cobb were just Watkins and Cobb, you know, older pieces. I think it's a good thing for Lazard that he is going to be the number one when he uh, he does come back. It sounds like he's going to be back this week. So I'm curious to see if this was just a, a one week blip like last year and then they're going to get back into it. Um, and then we'll we'll see where they go from there. I think it's also being magnified because there's been a lot of receivers that have been drafted in the ranges where the Packers have passed up on them over the last couple of years that have been good. And then it's magnified even more that Adams goes out and gets 17 targets with Carr and smashes, you know, like that, that's what's magnifying the lack of Packers offense is these other things that are happening around it. Any other situation that was breaking in this level of player we're excusing those quarterbacks entirely because they don't have anybody to throw to, right? Like nobody was getting on Ryan Tannehill because he doesn't really have anybody to throw to. You know, nobody is getting on Justin Fields because he doesn't have anybody to throw to. But it's like Rodgers, oh yeah, he doesn't have anybody to throw to, but look at all these guys they could have had. and Look at the guy they could have gotten with Adams, you know what I mean? Like that's why it's going the other way. So I think it's just being a little bit over over magnified because of the fact that there's all these other things that what could have been versus, you know, face value, what the situation is. But listen, Aaron Rodgers is the best. I mean, I've said it before. He's the best weapon elevator in the history of the game. So he's just got to do it again. And if he does it, I'm going to bet on him doing it because he's done it with, you know, you can name a dozen guys over the years that he's done it with. You know what I mean? Right. That he's taken from, probably just a guy if they would have gone somewhere else to like they smashed with Aaron Rodgers for multiple years. He's just going to have to do it again. So if I'm in on him, I might as well be in on those weapons and just correlate those bets. 
Yeah, like James Jones is the perfect example of that. Like he went to uh, Oakland at the time and wasn't, and he was okay, but he wasn't 15 touchdown James Jones with Aaron Rodgers. Or Jordy or Greg Jennings or Donald Driver or Javon Walker, you know, like all these guys over the years, like there's, there's just a lot of them and not saying they wouldn't have been good, but it's like clearly their best years were when they had the pack, when they were on the Packers. Right. So. All right, so our next kind of topic that I wanted to get into is what are we doing for week two start sit wise? So we kind of touched on a little bit of uh, some of these, but we'll kind of go over them again. So, you know, the first one I had was was the Cowboys again, and we'll just kind of go back to CD Lamb this week. Like we talked a little bit there about Mike Evans, and we would kind of like view him as a wide receiver three. But what do you do with C.D. Lamb? Do you kind of view him in the same range as like a Mike Evans? Are you still got to start him or are you OK with having the balls and saying, nope, I'm sitting C.D. Lamb this week and I'm going to play Isaiah McKenzie over him or or Jahan Dotson over him? Somebody like that. No, I, I think that just from watching the Bengals game last week, like I think that C.D. Lamb can still have a good game. He's just not going to have a smash game. But I think it's fair to rank him as a wide receiver too. You know, wide receiver 20, 24, something like that. I mean, it's not like you can't produce. I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be able to pass the ball, but I, I also don't think Dallas is going to be able to run the ball. So I think they're going to have to pass. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, that the only difference is, like, are they going to be even be aggressive passing with Cooper Rush? You know what I mean? So right. it could be – you're sitting there and I mean, this would be one of the games where I message you and I go, this is so frustrating because they're moving like a snail at a snail's pace. You know what I mean? And they don't want to pass. Like they're doing everything they can to just keep the game as low scoring and slow and boring as possible. Uh, but I think you still got to start lamb. I mean, he, he's actually the one guy I would start along with Schultz and, and Zeke. I mean, I think you still have to start all three. It's just, there's no expectation that they're going to help you really win anything. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cause I've, contemplated about sitting cd lamb in a few spots you know i just my threshold is can this wide receiver get me 10 points you know that's all i'm looking for in ppr league five for 50 can you get me five for 50 and if he can't do that man it's like i don't know if i want to start him obviously you started him last week against tampa with um with dak and all that and he's two for 19 obviously you weren't going to see that coming but dak didn't get hurt until late in the fourth quarter so you know, what the hell was CD lamb? He couldn't, he couldn't even get you that last week. So that's kind of my thinking on that. You know, it's just, I mean, are you starting guys like Josh Palmer over him? Yeah, I think you got to, like, if you have Josh Palmer, this is the reason why you have him for this opportunity right here. One of the, one of the two guys ahead of him got knocked down uh, this week. So why the hell are you not starting him? And why do you have him if you're not going to start him? You starting uh, Curtis Samuel over C.D. Lamb? Yeah, I think I would start Curtis Samuel. Tyler Boyd, if Higgins don't play? If Higgins does not play, yes, I would play Tyler Boyd. Jarvis Landry? Yes, easy Jarvis Landry. All right, so now you get down to some uglier options. Like, are you starting uh, D.K. Metcalf over him? Um, Aren't they basically like the same thing? Yeah, they're basically like the same thing. I'd probably just take Lamb in that in that case. Okay. So I mean, how far how far down do you go? Like, are you starting Amari Cooper over him? Yeah, I'd probably start Amari Cooper over him. 
So you have you have Lamb way lower. Like Draft Sharks has him wide receiver 19 ahead of Christian Kirk, Michael Thomas, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, Gabe Davis, Jalen Waddell, Rashad Bateman. I'd take all of those guys easy over Lamb this week. So it sounds like with the questions I was asking you, you got him down in like the wide receiver four range. Yeah, like here, here, 31's Landry, 32 Boyd, 33 Thielen, 34 Elijah Moore. Like, okay, Chase Claypool, I probably would play Lamb over Claypool. I said I would play Curtis Samuel over him. I think I'd still do that. Drake London is way too low on here. I definitely would play him. Valdez Scantling, I'll play Lamb. Allen Robinson at 40, I think that's way too low. I'm definitely playing Allen Robinson over Lamb. Cooper, I would play over Lamb. But uh, actually, I think I might change that one because um, Sauce Gardner is probably going to be on Cooper, and Sauce was pretty damn good last week. I play Lamb over Devontae Smith. Number 43, Brandon Ayuk. Easily play Brandon Ayuk over C.D. Lamb. But then the rest of these guys, probably not. I'm playing Lamb over Lamb over Lockett, Jacoby Myers, Robbie Anderson. Jahan Dotson's interesting. Zay Jones has been interesting, but I probably would have to play Lamb over those guys. I mean, you're, you're getting down into the wide receiver thir- low 30s and 40s here. Right. Where, and then they have them at 19. So it's, clearly there is going to be uh, someone that's way off. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I was saying he could be like wide receiver 24-ish, and that's just assuming he gets eight or nine inefficient you know, let's say right. he goes six for 58. He's mm-hmm. still probably going to end up being a top 30 receiver just with that line. Even if the team only scores 10 points and he doesn't get in the end zone, you know, but that's, if you're telling me that's kind of like a good outcome, I can see where you're like, all right, I'll start Josh Palmer or Curtis Samuel. Cause they could go for 20 plus. Mm-hmm. They could also go for four, but I guess what we know about warp, like if you get 12 or you get six, you're, you're probably pissed with either one. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, I get it. I get it. It's just tough to sit them. It's tough to sit them, but I get it. That that takes some balls. That's one of those decisions where if you act faster than the group, you're going to get ahead of the game if you guess right. Right. Okay. Um, the next one I wanted to bring up um, this week was Carson Wentz. Man, he was really good last week against Jacksonville. Four touchdowns at home. I love that his weapons are all healthy. Like Gibson looked really good. Obviously, McLaurin, Curtis Samuel led the team in targets, and Jahan Dotson had two touchdown catches last week. Do you think Carson Wentz is worth like a a top twelve, you know, back end quarterback streaming option this week? Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those ones where you know everyone's hated on Carson Wentz all year, but it was all they hated on him from like a leadership slash NFL perspective but not from a fantasy perspective. Fantasy, he's always been probably better than what his NFL reputation has been. So, I mean, I, I can see it. I can I can see even saying, like, if Evans doesn't play and Godwin doesn't play, like, I could even say, in, you know, with what the, the Saints have done to Tampa, I could see him you playing Wentz over Brady pretty easily. And okay. that probably puts him right in the mix to be a QB1. I mean, I was just looking at uh, highest yards per drop back in week one. Uh, Carson Wentz. Yep. So, I mean, he, he actually graded out pretty well in week one. And I, I would say, yeah, with Dotson and with Samuel and Gibbs, with Samuel and Gibson kind of showing up and doing what, like, you kind of always knew their potential could be, that gives him like four legitimate explosive weapons. 
plus like Logan Thomas coming out of nowhere and, and being like at least a usable tight end. Like you could argue that he has top 10 weapons in the league when all these guys are healthy, you know? Right. So yeah, yeah. all these guys are healthy. Like I said, so you might as well take advantage of it. Uh, Detroit just gave up 38 points at home and now they're at home again this week against Washington. Obviously, you know, the Eagles did a lot more damage on the ground than um, gave it up in the air. So I think that'll be a little different, but I think this offense could, uh, you know, roll this week again. I think, I don't know if I don't want to say he's going to throw another four touchdowns, but I would, I would assume he's probably going to throw two touchdowns and Wentz has the ability to run the ball close to the goal line. So I wouldn't be shocked if maybe he ran one into, I think that's the other thing. I mean, this is a 49 over under, so it's not like it's projected to have low, a low total, you know, like it's still, they're expecting points to be scored. So that's another reason why I think you can be confident playing him. Even if he's not that great, the matchup would be, you know, anytime you're going up against like a bottom 10 defense, you know, indoors, like you could argue, you just take that, you take that streaming matchup if the guy has any sort of upside. So I get it. Okay. Um, okay. This is my big bugaboo from last week. What the fuck do we do at tight end? Cause what a horror story that was last week. I've, I've talked about it multiple times on shows. Uh, my my three streamers or starters this week were Austin Hooper, Irv Smith, and Cole Komet, and they combined for 1.9 points, and that was Austin Hooper on the final drive of the fucking game. Otherwise, I would have had three zeros from those guys. So, what are you doing at tight end? Are we just are you just looking at the high snap percentage guys and the routes run and just pray? Is that kind of just what you're doing? I mean, if you're already streaming, I I almost think you have to do that. Because, I mean, did you honestly expect, like, and it's not even, I mean, we can talk about, like, the O.J. Howard fluke week and the other guys that just got lucky touchdowns. I mean, Seattle threw both touchdowns to Colby Parkinson and Will Disley. They both finished as tight end ones on the week. What would you have bet that the Seahawks would have two top eight tight ends? And neither of them were Noah Fant. Right. I would have, yeah, I would have maybe gave, put like five cents on it. Right. And then, <laughs> I mean, you have other guys like Taysom Hill gets, touches the ball six times in his tight end two, you know, because he gets a rushing touchdown. And then all these people blowing their wad on Taysom Hill to pick mm-hmm. up in leagues. And it's like. I've seen I a lot of Jawan Johnson, too, getting picked up because he was the starter. Well, see, and, and Jawan Johnson didn't really produce. But I think if you look at the usage, you can maybe predict some future production. Now you're not going to necessarily know when to play it, but at least those are the guys where you can get on your rosters. Like we picked up a bunch of Tyler Conklin for that reason. I'm not super confident starting Tyler Conklin, but he's at least one week. He's in the mix with all these other guys that you mentioned that you were excited about. And then they didn't even have the usage, you know what I mean? Let alone the points but they didn't even have the usage. So I think you just have to follow the usage for the early part of the season. But I think it's just a reality too, of how random the tight end position is and how, I mean, back to the warp show that we did, we reference it all the time, but like, remember how much it flattens off at tight end after like the top six or eight, yeah, like yeah, they just don't fucking matter. If, yeah. if you can trade any of those tight ends at any point, when are we going to stop banging our head into the wall and going, oh man, Cole Komet's going to smash. You know what I mean? Dude, you could have got like 
at least a second for Cole Komet a week ago. And yep. now he's getting cut in redraft leagues. Yep. And it that makes me want to say, like, all right, if you buy you can still buy into like Cole Komet's usage and his athleticism, like you know what I mean? But he's a third year tight end. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. And like Ryan Griffin was getting used half the time with Chicago last week and like almost ran the same amount of routes and, and all that. Austin Hooper, Jeff Swain was over him. Um, especially in targets and routes run and all that. Um, he didn't play more snaps, but Swain got targeted. Kylan Granson got all the targets over Mo Alley Cox. Mo Alley Cox was in there just a block. And I swore it up and down to everybody that Mo Alley Cox is the guy there. And now I look like a complete fool because here comes Kylan Granson out of nowhere. Looked like he was maybe a cut candidate at some point during training camp. And here he is leading uh, with seven targets and to Mo Alley Cox is like two. Okay. So let's, let's not live in the past. How can we correct this mistake going forward? I mean, I know it's only one week, mm. but th- doesn't it just kind of tell you that, and it's not just last week, but like, let's take, for example, TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. He isn't he kind of just what he is. Yeah, he's he, he's just up there because of draft capital and name value at this point. But he's not any better than Dawson Knox, who's probably like three or four spots below him in the dynasty ranks, or Tyler Higbee, or somebody like that. And isn't it clear that no matter who Detroit has, St. Brown, Swift, Chark, Jamison Williams, like they're all going to threaten Hawkinson for targets. He's never going to just take them away from those receivers, right? Right. I agree. So what is he? I I mean, you're better off selling him and going and getting any of these guys that busted if you can just get a draft pick close to what Hawkinson's worth because the tight ends in that situation are almost interchangeable. Right. So my way to correct it is I either want tight ends in really good offenses. So – I want Hayden Hurst for the Bengals. I want Dawson Knox for the Bills. You know, guys like that. Or I obviously want the super elite tight ends if I can get my hands on one of them. Kelsey, Pitts, whatever, if I can get my hands on one of them. Or I want these guys that are running, you know, they have 80%, 90% of the snaps, and they're running, you know, double, triple the routes of the next tight end. So Tyler Conklin was a good one from last week. Um Evan Ingram's another one that's going to get a lot of uh, targets and and routes run and stuff like that. So I want to be targeting those guys. I'm done with these guys on shitty offenses, these Cole Komets, these Austin Hoopers. I mean, Irv Smith's on a good offense. He was, he kind of missed because of uh, his thumb and getting up to speed and all that. So I understand that one. Uh, But like Hooper and Komet and all these guys on these shitty offenses, you know, I just don't want no part of like, I think, I mean, Fryermuth was really good last week. He's probably a top 10 tight end last week, fantasy point wise. But if he didn't have those two big catches in overtime, he's he's in TJ Hawkinson four for 30 territory. Otherwise, he ended up with like five for uh, 75 or something like that um, just off of those two overtime catches. So that could you know change things, too. Yeah, I think you nailed it like it. Basically, if you don't have the elite ones, you just want the fuck it options. Oh, fuck it. I'll start that guy because he's on the Bills. Fuck it. I'll start that guy because he's on the Chargers. You know what I mean? That's the only reason you're playing him. You're just hoping the 
offensive efficiency can carry the guy that gets four or five targets to like 10 points. That's it. So, I mean, you can learn from this, but I mean, it, if there's actionability to take away from this, it's if you can identify these guys and I, maybe it's unfair to say that they show themselves early, but I think we also can say the tight ends that are difference makers show themselves pretty early, right? It doesn't take them seven years to become Mark Andrews. You know, they probably are getting there by like year three or year four at the latest. So it doesn't mean like Hawkinson can't have a good career, but like if he's not elevating himself, anything above like tight end 10 ish now, then Oh, correct yourself before two years goes by and he's just falls a little bit because he's no better than tight end 10, you know? Right. Yeah. So I just, I just want to hit all these high efficiency guys. Like the um, Brevin Jordan's another one. He's in a three way tight end committee. No, thanks. I mean, you were, you were all over the Brevin Jordan. But he's on a bad team too. And a bad team. And he's in a three way tight end committee. Um, yeah. I'm completely out on Brevin Jordan uh, ever doing anything too. Uh, last one I wanted to uh, bring up. Do you have any like deeper running back or wide receiver plays that you like this week that you can give the uh, listeners? Deeper. Um, I would like how I do it in the um the article that I write up for the newsletter every week. I go outside the top twenty four running backs, and then wide receivers outside the top thirty six. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple that are pretty obvious from last week that I think you could probably trade for and spot start. Like we we're not quite to like trade and spot start, but we talked about it uh, on our, the patron show we did the other day for dynasty and chill. But like, I, I would, uh, I think I'd buy Rex Burkhead. Like just send some offer. I mean, I'd pay a third for Rex Burkhead. Cause you know what, if I get two starts and I can get us, I can start Rex Burkhead this week. Mm-hmm. If it flames out, it flames out. You know what I mean? but I'm comfortable starting him this week. So if I could pay a third for Rex Burkhead, the key is, and we talk about this in the discord all the time is like, when you're talking about like the warp value of running backs, it's, it's hard to do those deals now in week two, because what's the difference between week two and week 10, Eric, just logistically thinking. We had this discussion last week when we, when we set our initial lineups. Joe was a question. I'm sorry. What's the difference between week two and week 10 when you're buying these guys like Rex Burkhead? I mean, not not much for me. As long as they're getting the damn starts, I just want the starts. But that's the thing. Most likely, your roster isn't quite in a position where you need to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas true. when you get into week ten, you probably have a couple injuries. You got a couple buys. You know what I mean? That's when you're you get some more value. So he's a tough one to buy unless you literally go to set your lineup and you go, "Hey, Rex Burkhead's better than the guy I'm starting," and it has to be like a significant amount then you can buy him. So I think that's the tough part about buying guys like that, but I'd be bu- fine buying him. Uh, I still think I would buy Kenyon Drake mm-hmm. because I think that everyone's going to just eliminate Kenyon Drake when Dobbins comes back. But you remember what Gus Edwards was when yeah. Dobbins was there, you know, even before Dobbins was there, like Gus Edwards still was getting 40% of the work. Like, I don't think they're just going to say here, Dobbins, it's you. Like, so people are going to start giving up on Kenyon Drake. And I think I would buy Kenyon Drake. I'd like to collect some Kenyon Drake shares if I can. So those would be the two that stood out to me. Like I'm kind of excited to, to play this week when really probably nobody else is. So just looking at like draft sharks rankings here, like outside the top um, 24, 
Um, and one of the, on fantasy pros, he was outside the top 24 was Michael Carter. That's a smash for me this week. Uh, Flacco targeted the Jets running backs over 10 times last week. I forget. I think Brees had six and Carter had nine targets. Something I think like it was that. eight, nine. I think it was like 17 eight, total. Eight, okay. So 17 total. Um, Carter caught seven of them. So he, seven for 40. That's 11 points in PPR just in receiving value. Um, and they're going to have to probably do the same thing again this week. So definitely liking uh, Michael Carter. And you could probably play Brees Hall for the same reason. Uh, one thing, one that we didn't mention that was a big surprise to me was how good James Robinson looked. Like, I'll fire up James Robinson again this week. Um, I actually don't have any James Robinson because I've just been scared off of that Achilles. But, man, he's looked good compared to, obviously, Cam Akers. So James Robinson's a guy I wouldn't mind firing up this week. Uh, Naeem Hines is the ultimate, like, zero RB, RB2. Like, he is the guy. You just play him. I'll definitely play some Naeem Hines this week. Um, you know, we don't really know what the status of DeAndre Swift is going to be. He's missed uh, the Wednesday and Thursday practice so far. So Jamal Williams is probably going to get a little bit more run this week. Obviously, he scored two um Touchdowns at the goal line this week uh, in week one. So I will, I'll be okay with playing Jamal Williams too in a couple spots. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're to the point now where if you need spot starts, like you, you can go buy some of these guys. And the key is to do it with the expectation that you're only going to get one start. So don't pay the, the problem is when like, if a guy like Swift gets ruled out, like people will want seconds for Jamal Williams. Right. It's like that's not really worth your while. So that's why I'm, I'm pivoting to guys like Drake or Burkhead uh, to because I think you can they have enough stink on them from the past that you can buy them. If someone can get a third for them, they're almost like ecstatic that they actually can get something. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation with how many running backs last week. I mean, if you just look at the guys that finished and it's almost if you just take a snapshot of the top 24 running backs last week. Like at the very top, it's like Barkley, Taylor, Swift. And then in the top eight, you have like Mixon, Kareem Hunt, Antonio Gibson, AJ Dillon. And then like everybody else are, I mean, you got James Conner, Fournette, McCaffrey, Chubb, Dalvin Cook. They're down in like the low, you know, mid-tier RB2, low-end RB2 range. But everyone else is just like guys that are just randomly sprinkled in there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like Cordero Patterson and Dontrell Hilliard and James Robinson and Michael Carter and Isaiah Pacheco, Rex Burkhead, Naheem Hines. Like, there's some merit. Like, he already week one, you have like eight or nine guys, like, kind of coming from like the below the dead zone range that are helping you win RB2 right. weeks, you know? Right. And then what about uh, wide receivers? Uh, uh, anybody that stood out to you that's like below top 36? I mean, I I heard on the ESPN show they were doing their their cornerback matchups and they were saying the toughest matchup this week uh, in the slot is actually Greg Dorch. So I was a little excited to start some Greg Dorch, but they said that will be the toughest matchup for the Cardinals this week. Okay. So they were much more excited about AJ Green. I was like, well, okay. But <laughs> I picked up a. I, I'm normally Mister Roster Clogger receivers don't pick them up, but. I think I picked up like three or four Greg Dorch in deeper leagues and I'm, I have them in a couple lineups. 
I yeah, I did the same with Richie James. I think I picked up Richie James over Dortch. I was the Richie James guy this week. And even though I'm sure Brandon will listen to this, Brandon will laugh at this. He was laughing at me like you're crazy. I'm like, but they didn't play Kadarius Tony at all. Wandale is hurt. He's gonna probably miss again. And even with that fact, they still didn't play Kadarius Tony in the Wandale's role. So it just makes me think like Tony's completely out. Sterling Shepard's probably going to be their number one, but he's coming off an Achilles tear as well. Galladay is just, I don't know what the hell Galladay is anymore. It's like, it's got to be Richie James is like at least the number two option. So that's why I picked him up quite a bit this week. Um, but some other guys that I liked that were outside the the top uh, 36 or so, Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson. I both like those guys. That goes with my Carson Wentz play. Like one of those guys is probably going to do good. Um, you know, Dotson off of two touchdowns, that's probably going to be hard to repeat, but Curtis Samuel off 11 targets last week. Um, and he got some rushing work. I think I would be more willing to start Curtis Samuel just because of the way they're giving him the ball. He has a, a better chance to score some points for me. Um, Allen Robinson on here is listed at number 40. That's an easy smash start for me this week. I think, I think they, they get right with Allen Robinson. Um, Zay Jones is another guy that he keeps getting the, the work there too. I could see him doing pretty good against Indianapolis this week. Uh, DJ Chark against uh, Washington. I think Chark could still do pretty good. Uh, Chris Olave is another one that's interesting for me this week. Um, Here's see. a couple of dust balls. Are you firing up some Robbie Anderson? I started him in like one or two spots last week. So that was nice. I would probably say no, though. I'm not. I think that's he's kind of like that. He has one good week the next, and then next this week he's one for nine. You know, he's you firing he's up any Corey Davis. He's going to have a tough matchup against the Browns corner, so I'm probably going to try to avoid that if I can. Another that's one a, I like. That's do you want to start any Jets? Elijah Moore, I, I think I would still start. Um, one interesting stat on Elijah Moore that I heard, um, he has seven straight games going back to last year where he's had a 20-yard uh, play or longer in, in seven straight games. Interesting. So, he, so I, I like that for to him make a big play. I mean, he's going to have his hands full with Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom, though, probably the one of the best um, – corner tandems in the league. So it's going to be a, a tough work for uh, the Jets this week. Is that why you like Brees Hall and Michael Carter? Because they may just dump it off like 20 times. Yeah. Yep. And Tyler Conklin too. Yep. And the Browns always suck against um, tight ends for whatever reason. So yeah, that's definitely one. Um, another one I kind of like that I think could be sneaky is Kyle Phillips. He got a shit ton of targets last week from Tannehill. Obviously they ain't throwing to the damn tight ends because I already talked about that. Uh, Traylon got out there a little bit, but it was only like 14 snaps, but he did get some uh, targets to him. But man, Kyle Phillips had nine targets, looked really good. And if Buffalo is going to get up on Tennessee at home in their home, Buffalo's home opener, I could see Tannehill having to throw a lot to get back into that game. And I could see Kyle Phillips getting like those over the middle, you know, short type passes where he could end up with seven, eight catches for a hundred yards in a hurry, you know, and get a lot of that in the, in the second half kind of thing. I like it. I like it. Um, just trying to kind of look down here. I think um, I think Sauce Gardner is going to be on 
Amari Cooper quite a bit. So Donovan Peoples-Jones, who also had 11 targets last week, I wouldn't be shocked if Peoples-Jones had a good game. So that's another guy that's that's uh, deeper on this rankings list that could have a good game. So, yeah, I like him as well. I mean, where where would your cut line be on Amari Cooper? Because you were low on him. Like that, He feels like one of those guys that you put in just because of his name and you figure he's going to be the number one guy. But we also know that he's not necessarily that good to just earn that type of clout week to week like that. I'm definitely on board with sitting him basically for any other like top 40 option. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Like, would you play Robert Woods or, or Amari Cooper? I'd probably rather play a guy that's in a, a, a peripheral option in a good offense versus a average option in a shitty offense. You know what I mean? Cause he's basically the same thing as Amari Cooper, but yeah, I mean that there's probably some players like, you know, I would definitely play like the MVS types or Josh Palmer types over Amari Cooper. Right. Just riding the, just riding the quarterback, just riding the offense. Even, yeah. even you could go down to guys on Buffalo. You could go down to, you could take your shot on one of the green Bay guys. They have a good matchup. You know what I mean? And they're going to be at home. So like, I could justify saying I'm going to play green. I'm going to play, take a, a green Bay shot, not name Lazard over Amari Cooper and just bank on the quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. I think Robert Woods, um, kind of the same thing as Kyle Phillips. It's going to probably be a game where Tennessee is going to have to come back from behind and the jets and, and the Browns, like the over under on that has got to be like 41. You know, it can't be very high. So, like, that game could be really ugly. It could be a 21 to 17, 20 to 10 kind of game. So, there's not going to be like a lot of high scoring in that game, in my opinion. So, you know, that I probably would rather have Woods in that situation and hope Woods can, you know, get some garbage time points. The Jets Browns game is the only game on the slate this week that's under 40 points. Yeah, I was. I figured it was it had to be like forty-one. 30. It's thirty-nine and a half. Browns favored by six and a half. But the the only other game that is less than forty-two is Seahawks, 49ers, and Bears, Packers. But that's it. Wow, Steelers and Patriots is higher than that. I figured that game would be. Uh, no, you're right. Steelers, Patriots is forty-one as well. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say that game's got to be really low because that's a. Like, man, you imagine saying that a couple years ago, oh, Steelers, Patriots, this is going to be one of the most watched games um, of the week. And now, now it's like, oh, my God, that's, that might be what me and you call the prison game of the week. Well, how about this? Bengals-Cowboys is 42. Yeah, and that might be 38 Bengals and then three for the Cowboys. <laughs> but you know what, though? It comes back to you need to have both teams being able to put up a fight. You know what I mean? Right, yep. When you have these hapless offenses, like there's, I, I can see Bengals Cowboys being a low scoring game just because the Bengals are dumb enough to play that kind of game. You know, I could see it being a 20 to 10 game, but it's not that close, but it's, it's a terrible game for fantasy. So right, right. yeah, you need both teams to be able to fight and swing back and forth. It, my takeaway would be if you have guys in the uh, Chargers Chiefs game, put them in. Mm-hmm. If you have guys in the Washington Detroit game, put them in. Yep. If you have guys in like the Falcons Rams game, put them in. Yep. And I guess the Raiders Cardinals game, like put them, just put them in and yep. avoid all these games. Bills Titans too. I mean, Bills Titans last year played a, a hell of a game. Eagles Vikings, same thing. Yep. But I think like those six games, 
those are the the six games where I look at it and I'm like, either both teams are bad enough to want to play everybody, or one team is really good and one team's decent. Like I just want to play as many guys in those games as possible. But some of these other ones, I mean, Jets, Browns, it, even Buccaneers, Saints, man. Like they, there's a lot of fantasy relevant players in that game, yep. but I'm not so sure that's just going to be like a shootout. You know, those yep. defenses are both probably better than the offenses at this point. Right. And here's the one thing I'll, I'll bring up on that. And I've said it a couple of times. Um, New Orleans has beaten Tom Brady all four times that they've played in the regular season. The only win that Brady has against them was in Drew Brees' final game in the playoffs. So just remember that the Saints, um, that's why the Saints went all in this year. They traded up to get Olave. They traded up to get Trevor Penning. Uh, they were going all in in this year because they know, hey, we got Tampa Bay's number. We can beat them and make the playoffs with how wide open the NFC uh, is. They could do it. So, Yeah. Should be fun. I'm looking forward to this week. This is going to be a week where everything we think we know with like usage last week either gets compiled on and it's like, okay, another week of the same stuff. Now we can start forming a trend. We can start drawing like legitimate conclusions when you have multiple games or you make a bunch of rash decisions based on the stuff that pissed you off last week. And then it goes the other way. Like you sit every Irv Smith and he goes seven for a hundred this week. Yeah, I could see it coming, and I get pissed off, and I rant about it on this next week's show. Yep, yep that's what we're here for. That's why we're going to do America's Game every week, because just, just Eric's rants are gold. <laughs> yep. All right, final segment. I'm going to kind of um, change this one a little bit to either your favorite or the greatest. So this is one I've, I've – when I envisioned doing this segment, I always wanted to do, and I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, but – what do you think is either your favorite play in NFL history or what do you think is the greatest play in NFL history? Man, I should research these before I get on here because I don't even look at the topic until you bring it up on air. Favorite I don't, play I don't, in NFL I, history. I usually just bring them up on air. I don't even write them down. <laughs> yeah, go go with yours. I'll Give me 30 seconds to think. Okay. So I think you could argue the greatest play – in NFL history and the greatest throw and catch all happened in the same game. And I, I wonder, curious if you know what I'm talking about. Greatest, greatest play throw and catch. Not all the same play, but um, two different plays and they both happened in the same game, in the same Super Bowl. Hmm. I'm thinking of great Super Bowl moments. Is it? And it's a team. It's a team that me and you both hate. I'll give you that. That one. Team that we both hate. Hmm. Steelers. Yep. Yeah. Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl. Yeah. I could argue the greatest play ever was the James Harrison 100 yard interception return, but I will argue. That my favorite, my favorite play that I think is just personally the greatest catch and the greatest throw that I've ever seen was Ben Roethlisberger to Santonio Holmes in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. If you watch that play, he, Roethlisberger puts the ball right on the damn money through three defenders' hands. You got three different guys going for that ball, and, and it's just over their reach. And Santonio Holmes catches it in the back of the end zone and basically is, you know, has his two feet down and is leaning out to grab the ball and catches it. 
I will argue to anybody that that is the greatest play in greatest catch, at least greatest catch and greatest throw in the history of, of the NFL. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think you were going to go there at the beginning, but then when you said when we said Steelers, I was like, you got to be thinking the the Cardinals Steelers Super Bowl with the Harrison return. Yeah, I mean, I think that yeah, I, I think you can argue that's the greatest play. I mean, there's there's been so many great plays in Super Bowl and and just NFL history, but to me, I always I always go back to the Roethlisberger and Holmes one because with everything on the line to win a Super Bowl. Roethlisberger throws that ball absolutely perfect. There's, I, I'd have to find the clip of it, but there's a clip from the like pylon side of the football back pylon where you see the the three hand the three guys' hands going up for the ball, and they and he just puts it right on the money, and then Holmes right right in his hands perfectly as he's leaning out to catch it, both feet on the ground leaning out, greatest catch, greatest throw with with everything on the line, e- easy for me. So I'll bring this one up and it's, there's so many that I can't really pick one, but if I just think about like what's had the most impact in the last decade or so, how different would things have been if the Seahawks don't throw the interception at the one yard line? Right. I agree with that. And they end up winning three or four Super Bowls. You know what I mean? Or New England doesn't win three more Super Bowls after that. I mean, I don't know. That just seems like, it, 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 things could have shifted a little bit more, like not saying Seattle would become like a powerhouse, but you know, that things might be different right now. You know what I mean? Like the Brady Belichick divorce could have happened sooner. You know, Russ could still be with Seattle, you know, like who knows? It just feels like that. I remember that and all the discussion after it and just how many people had opinions on like, was that a good play call? And it still gets debated today, but I mean, shit, when, when my team is inside like the five yard line and it's getting really tight, you know what I mean? The pressure mm-hmm. of that, let alone it being on the one in a Super Bowl, you know, like right. I, I, I've heard Seattle fans say like they still can't get over that play. Like they never their life, they'll never be able to get over that play. And I, I don't blame them. Yeah, it's kind of like the Browns fans with with the drive and the fumble with Ernest Biner in, in the late eighties, same thing here, man. Uh, a lot of these older guys that, you know, in their fifties and sixties now that lived in that, you know, Brown's era, they can't get over those two plays. Red, right. 88 in early 80s, same thing, you know, or the Falcons and with the 28 to three, like yeah. if you just, if you had one of those like 40 plays back, it might've been different, you know? I, yeah, that's another one that you got to bring up too, because Man, the the Patriots had to score the touchdown and the two point conversion twice to even get back into that game. So that that one was just absolutely crazy too. Yeah, uh, and they needed some they needed some uh, some clock stuff in the end of the fourth quarter too. Like where mm-hmm. you know, re- remember when the Falcons got the ball back and they were up eight and like they they didn't just run out the clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just one decision to pass when you shouldn't or. Right. whatever, like, or one injury can just totally just, it just enough of a difference on the clock. It's like, it comes down to one place. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting to to think back about the two Super Bowl wins the Patriots had that one in the Seahawks win, but then like the Super Bowl losses they had like to the giants where they probably shouldn't have lost, you know, like, yeah, that's like literally four championships. You could say could have swung the other way that yeah. 
that they didn't. I mean, they would have still ended up with probably two and two, but still, like they could have been, they could have lost four instead of losing two, or they could have won four. And then it's like, holy shit, what do they have? Nine rings in like 18 years or something like that? I mean, yeah. I mean, imagine if Brady never lost a Super Bowl and he's like, whatever, 11 and 0, 10 and 0, whatever it is. Like, that's just, that's crazy to even think about, too. Yep. So, yeah, uh, that was that was good. I was just curious to see if you had any on there. But, yeah, man, that Roethlisberger and Holmes one, that, that's easily play the, the big play for me, man. Fuck those guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Holmes because he's obviously a Ohio State guy. But, uh, yeah, Roethlisberger, not, not a fan of Yep. <laughs> All right, man. Well, that was uh, it for this week. Appreciate you joining me again. And uh, I am at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter. You guys can follow the uh, show at America's Game Pod on Twitter as well. We would appreciate some follows there. Also, uh, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter on the uh, Destination Debbie feed. It's allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. And Beehive is spelled B-E-E-H-I-I-V. Every Friday morning, you guys will get um, the news content that we're providing to you. I'm writing an um, article in there. Every Friday morning, there's JB's analytics. Jeff, our injury doctor, he's putting out good stuff. You got Ike and Gene, Adam and Mike, Ray's putting out betting stuff in there. So there's so much good content in there that you guys can get every Friday morning to your uh, email. Go ahead, sign up for that. That We'd really appreciate that. Like and subscribe to the pod um, on Apple or wherever you you know get the podcast at. Um, we would really appreciate that as well. And Scott, um, what about you at uh, Dynasty until you got anything going on over there? Nope, just here. Season's here. Everything's on the Patreon. So patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. And then uh, on DD. So that's it. And at Charles Chill FB on Twitter. All right, sweet. All right, guys, good luck uh, in week two. We're going to probably do another um, start-sit show um, Sunday morning on Destination Devi's YouTube page. So make sure you guys check into that if you got some last-minute start-sit questions. Uh, last week it was myself, uh, Adam and Mike, the 4D chess guys, and Brandon joined us um, as well. I don't know what the lineup's going to be this week, but I talked to Mike and he said, yeah, come back for this week. So I guess I will be on there again this weekend. Uh, so if you got any last minute start sick questions on YouTube, you guys can join us there. So until then we will see you.